0: Good morning, welcome to Emmet Audio. This is an exciting moment in the May Virtual Apprenticeship Challenge audio version because this marks the transition from spoon blank to starting to carve the spoon with the knives. So first thing you want to do is make sure that your knives are sharp because this initial stage of carving is heavy lifting. And if your knives aren't sharp, um, you're gonna be struggling. So I think a lot of times people think, oh, I'll use the relatively dull knife until I get to the finishing cuts and then I'll sharpen. And the truth is you should do both. You should definitely strop or give a fresh sharpen before you do your finishing cuts if your knife needs it, but you should also go into these opening cuts with as sharp a knife as you possibly can. Um, it's a false economy to do otherwise. Come on, Willow. And um, the other thing is you want to make sure you go into these opening cuts with the spoon blank that you have taken pains to wrap in a plastic bag if there is any time lapse between when you finished axing and when you start carving. You don't want to put a spoon blank aside, come back to it a day later, and it's going to be all dried out. The surface is going to be really tough. So set yourself up for a pleasant experience and make sure that the wood is at the right moisture content, your knife is as sharp as it can be. So, the thing I want to cover most carefully in this episode is safe knife habits. Willa! Come on! Oh, good girl. Come on! Um... So, when you're using the Sloyd knife, and that's all we're gonna be talking about today. I'll talk about how to safely use the hook knife when we get to the, using the hook knife. But you found a ball, good girl. Um, <clears throat> when you're using the Sloyd knife, the most important thing is to make sure that you can't cut yourself. And so that comes in two different ways when you are cutting away from yourself, you want to make sure that the power of that cut is coming actually, and counterintuitively from the hand that is holding the spoon. This happens in two different ways. The most common I call the hand squeeze, where you are essentially opening and closing the fingers that are also holding the spoon, and in doing so you're actually squeezing the wood of the spoon against the knife. So you'd use this when you're cutting around the circumference of the bowl, or when you're carving the back of the bowl, um, and it can be hard for people to sort of figure out how this works, essentially, but if you hold your your hand, pro- if you're a righty, it would be your left hand, and just hold it out like you're like you're wearing a mitten, and then just to open and close those fingers, that's what it looks like, while keeping your thumb up. And the reason I say keeping your thumb up is that that thumb being stiff and up, what's gonna happen is you're going to have both of your thumbs on the back spine of the blade next to each other, not one on top of the other. So you're holding the knife with your dominant hand, the thumb of your knife hand is on the back spine of the blade, and the other thumb of the hand that's holding the piece of wood is right next to it. And what that thumb from the other piece of, sorry, I'm watching, I'm watching Willow chew a piece of wood. So that thumb from your other hand is transferring the energy from your hand squeeze into the knife blade. The hand that's holding the knife doesn't transfer any energy. All it's doing is making sure that the that the knife, uh, that the knife, the back of the knife blade is still pressed up against the non-dominant thumb. You don't wanna let it leave that thumb. And the way that this keeps you safe is that it means that there's never a point at which your hand could slip. And because you're using power from your knife hand, you would then plow the knife into your leg or your dog or your kid or your other hand. It just can't do it because there's no power in the the knife. There's no power in the knife hand. So the range is limited to the limit of the motion created uh, by the hand squeeze, which is very limited motion now. You might think that that would limit the amount of power you can bring to bear, but it actually increases the amount of power um, because it's it's sort of like, uh, you know how when you ride a bike, if the seat is too low, you don't have any power because all the power comes from that last couple inches of really fully extending your leg? Same thing with the hand squeeze. Uh, the power comes from those that the fraction of an inch that you get from it. Now, you can then essentially create a pivot on that thumb from your non-dominant hand by pulling the handle of the knife down and pivoting the tip up using the tip of your thumb that's on the back spine of the blade as the pivot point and that extends your cut but a lot of the power from the cut comes from opening and closing those hands that are also holding the wood at the same time. And in general, you wanna be, if you're feeling like you're struggling with this, try choking up on the spoon closer to where you're trying to work, and that will generally solve the problem. Now, the other time that you're cutting away from yourself, but you're still using power from your, the hand holding the spoon, is there are times, uh, really for me, it's only when I'm doing the back of the handle, when you wanna do a long cut down the back of the handle, depending on the spoon design, I suppose you could be doing the sides or the top of the handle too. Um, if you're doing like a swizzle twizzle type handle, a medieval style handle. Um, and in those instances, um, rather than doing like a power push with a, with a straight arm, instead what you do, what I do, is I, is I brace the, my knife forearm on my knee, and then I pull back with the spoon hand, so that I'm pulling the spoon against the knife, but the knife is fixed and remains still. And again, not only is this just as powerful as pushing with the knife, which is what most of us think of doing as holding the spoon still and pushing with the knife, you flip it on its head, you actually have better control over what you're actually um, over, over the cut you're making when you do it that way, because when you're holding the spoon still and you're trying to move the knife, there are just, because it's a push motion, you have less control than when it's a pull motion. Anyone who's ever used um, like a, what are they called, a stirrup hoe in a garden that are designed to be pushed and pulled knows that you ha- the, the push motion is much Not only is it weaker, but it's also um, it's less controlled. I think it has to do with the muscle the muscle groups involved. When you are pushing the knife away from you with your forearm, you're using, let's see, you're using your triceps on the back of your arm, and to some extent you're using your maybe your chest muscles. Those are smaller muscle groups for most of us than when you are pulling the spoon back against the fixed knife blade, in which case you're using your bicep and your back shoulder muscles. And because they're larger muscle groups, you have more power and therefore more control with them. So let's talk about when you are using the Sloyd knife to cut towards yourself. This is, this is the cut where everyone is gonna say, ooh, you're gonna cut yourself. And they're right, unless you do this one thing, which is to keep your knife elbow tucked into your side. So when you are cutting towards yourself, and the most common instance of this is when you're cutting down the sides or the top of the handle, you are, you have the tip of the knife straight up, you have the edge facing you, and then very importantly, you have your thumb, instead of being wrapped around the front of the handle, like you're making a fist, Put, take your thumb and put it on the same side of the handle as your fingers are wrapping around. And I either have it, I basically have it sort of right at the back of the spine of the blade. And then the key is to be holding the spoon pressed against your sternum with your hand the, it's holding the spoon right at the tip of the spoon, and then the knife is always in between your hand and your body. Never hold the spoon close to your body and cut with the knife down towards your hand. You will cut yourself. So you have to have you are essentially creating a space where the spoon exists by holding it at the tip with one hand, and it's pressed against your sternum with the other. Not uh, with the other hand. It's press against your sternum by holding it at the tip. And it's important that you get it in your sternum because that little pocket of your sternum keeps it from torquing from one side or the other. If you place it too high on your chest, it can slip out. It's same as putting the spoon blank on a stump that's perfectly smooth and doesn't have a little divot. You need that divot to mean that you can have your hand sort of shift from side to side and not have it pop free. Because if it pops free when the knife is in there, then everything's in play and you could cut yourself without intending to. So keep it tight into your actual sternum, that little pocket at the bottom of your chest rather than up higher. And I don't use a Bodger's bib or anything like that. Two things help me um, keep from getting that, the, that uncomfortable, uh, feeling from pressing a sharp end of a spoon into your chest. The first is to always knock off the corners of the handle. In my experience, that's always the, the culprit. And if I even just knock off the corners just a little bit, it goes a long way towards making it comfortable. And the second is when it's the time of year when I'm carving in just a t-shirt, and I'm carving a bunch of spoons. If I'm just carving one spoon, it's not a big deal. If I'm carving spoons all day, I will often wear an apron just to give myself that second layer of material. And that's all I need is just the two layers of material and to have the corners knocked off. And then I don't experience any discomfort. So, you start making that cut. You want your elbow clamped into your side. And by keeping your elbow tucked into your side real tight, it's going to uh, keep you from being able to even reach yourself with the knife. If you imagine, just clamp your elbow into your side. You don't even have to be holding the knife. Clamp your elbow in tight to your side. You see how that means that when you wiggle your wrist, it's very hard to reach yourself. As you get closer to your body and you're naturally sort of pulling your elbow back along your side, continue pressing that forearm and then your wrist into your side. And you can see that by clamping more and more of your arm as you get closer to your hand into your side, that it continues to limit the motion just the right amount so that it's almost impossible to cut yourself with the knife. So the places you're gonna cut yourself is if you forget and have your hand in between your knife and your body the hand that's holding the spoon. Always put the spoon the spoon hand behind the knife. <sighs> so those are the main two cuts, the hand squeeze and the pull stroke. The one I described where you brace the knife on, the, on your knee and pull back, that is a kind of specialized stroke that you only use a couple times. There's a couple other specialized strokes that are pivot strokes, pivot cuts that you use to carve the top of the rim and I'm going to describe those in more detail when we get to that part of the process but before I finish this episode I want to talk about the general sequence of carving the spoon and the way that I do it and why because I think unless you can articulate why you do something Then it's always open for interpretation because there's probably a better way to do it. Once you start being able to articulate why you do something in the order that you do it, uh, then you have a much more thoughtful analysis of how you could improve. So for me, the natural first step when I get to a spoon blank is to carve around the outline because I've drawn the outline. So if I carve anything other than that, I'm going to uh, obliterate the outline and I won't quite know what I'm supposed to do. So I carve around the outline, and I carve around the outline, very importantly, maintaining that 90 degree face that the ax has already created. This is just a chance to establish a cleaner, smoother line, but I'm not trying to get it perfect. I'm Just trying to sort of roughly bring it down into a more refined shape. Definitely not trying to get it perfect. This is because with each step, you get more refined and it becomes easier to get a then further refined cut from that refined form. So spoon carving for me is a process of bringing everything into refinement gradually in multiple stages of repeating things. It sounds complicated, but it actually is faster than if you try and at this stage get the exact perfect shape that you want. Because if you try and do it at this stage, you're cutting across such a wide thickness it's really a lot of work and very, almost impossible to get it as smooth a curve as I can achieve later on. So, there's no point in trying to get it perfect at this stage. So, I cut around the outline. Then, I always cut the top side of the spoon before the bottom side. The reason I do that is because the top side has axe blows that go down into the wood, and you want to find the bottom of those axe blows. You want to make sure that you've completely eliminated any cracks that are going down into the face of the spoon from those axe blows in the bottom of the V. And you need to make sure that you get the top of the spoon exactly the way you want it before you do anything on the bottom. Because if you do stuff on the bottom before you do stuff on the top, and then you have to pull the top down further than you anticipated because there was a crack that you needed to get under, um, or you just needed to do more work to get the crank exactly the way you wanted, or just the profile to get it the way you wanted, Surprising stuff happens on the top of the spoon. Usually surprising stuff doesn't happen on the bottom of the spoon because of the way the grain's oriented. So it always makes sense to do the top of the spoon first, get those surprises out of the way while you still have as much material as possible, and then carve the bottom of the spoon, pulling it up to the the line that you've done at the top. Let's talk about the rim for a second. At every stage, that I am pulling the bottom up to the new top rim, I'm halving the thickness of that rim. So I'm just gonna make up some distances, but let's say it's a quarter of an inch when I come out of the spoon spoon blank stage, or let's say, you know, half an inch. Well, then I'm gonna go down to a quarter of an inch, and then I'm gonna go down to an eighth of an inch, and then I'm gonna finish up at a sixteenth of an inch. At each of those steps, I'm having the thickness of that rim, but I'm maintaining that 90 degree rim at each stage. I'm not eliminating it, going to a real sharp edge. Instead, I'm maintaining it. So once I, very quickly now, once I do the outline, the top face, and the bottom face, now I'm in a good position to redraw the shape with pencil this time. And within the material that's there, find the most symmetrical, sweetest lines. And then I do the outline, the top, the bottom again. And that two-step process of repeating those steps allows me to really consistently pull a good shape. And the shape I intend out of uh, a fairly rough spoon blank And it gives me the wiggle room I need to adjust to unforeseen circumstances. Once I have done that, I'm going to carve the chamfers on the handle. And then I'm going to carve the spoon bowl. And then I'm going to carve the outside of the bowl down to the finished thing. So we'll get to each of those in steps. And tomorrow's episode, we'll talk about... um, We'll walk through this process step by step. Um, But make sure that you review the safe knife practices so that you are safe. Um, And thanks for listening.